Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, happy Easter. <laughs> A little delay there, but uh, it's good to see everybody. I, you know, I'm like Charlie and, and uh, JC were saying, isn't it good to just be together, be in this place and be able to celebrate Easter together? I mean, that's just a gift that we can do that this year. And especially if you're here with us, maybe you're visiting, maybe it's your first time, we're thrilled you're here. Uh, honestly, we, we don't take that for granted. It really is a privilege that we could host you today. I can't think of a better day for you to be here with us because uh, it, it's one of those days, you, you know, when in life you need to focus on the main thing. This is one of those days by design, by the calendar, by everything, we focus on the main thing. What, what I would call the greatest breakthrough event in all of human history. The, the greatest thing that ever happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it got me thinking as I thought about that breakthrough, innovation, you know, what, what are some things that were just revolutionary in their time? And, and I was thinking about something, it was an innovation that, that changed things, people marveled at it. I mean, it became part of the common vernacular, people were so surprised by it. And you probably know what I'm thinking about. Of course, I'm talking about the automatic bread slicer, yeah. <laughs> no, you, you laugh, but in 1928, when Otto Frederick Rowader rolled this bad boy out, he'd been working on it for years, and the Chillicothe Bread Company in Missouri for the first time sold sliced bread. It was in all the newspapers, everybody talked about it. Even to the point to this day, you'll still hear people say, my mom would say it all the time. You ever heard the phrase? This is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Now I gotta be honest, when I was a kid and she said that, I, I was like, Seriously, that's your standard of greatness? Sliced bread? <laughs> you, know, you think about innovations in our time. I, I, I stopped and I thought, okay, what's the greatest innovation that's probably happened in my lifetime? And it's really hard because you think of all the change that's happened in our lifetime. I would say for me, the impact on culture, society, the penetration, I would say it's the iPhone. In, in fact, I've got here, this is an original. It is, working iPhone, in great condition, still works today. I wish it was mine, you know, unfortunately in my family, we roll through these things pretty quickly, chew them up, and they're so cheap to replace, so I love that part of it. I mean, when the iPhone came on the scene, it, it changed the standard. Now, it didn't come out of nowhere, I mean, it, it, there was rollouts before that. In fact, if you, you look at it, you can go all the way back to, uh, this bad boy. Yeah, anybody have one of these? And you were happening walking around with that brick next to your head. Thought you were cool, didn't you? And then for a lot of us, we love the old flip phone. Yeah, now you're talking. I had a razor flip phone, you remember that? You were really in it. And, and we could even text on the flip phone. Now the problem was it's like one number covered three letters, you remember that? It was, it was easier to send Morse code than to text someone. And then this breakthrough, I loved the Blackberry. I mean, I love me some Blackberry. I, I could really work with that little keypad. I thought this one would last forever. So did the leaders of Blackberry, by the way. But uh, <laughs> what changed everything? It was when the iPhone rolled out. 
And, and suddenly you had all of these innovations in one place. I mean, you, you could talk, you could text, you could go online, you, you could send emails with it, you had your music there, you had a camera, a digital camera. We no longer had film, you know, where you kind of guessed if you got a good shot. And you took your film to a little booth and gave it to a stranger and they had access to all your pictures. I mean, we did that. All of that changed. All of it. it was really, for good and ill, I, I would say it's the greatest innovation I've seen in my lifetime. Greatest breakthrough. But hear me. 2,000 years from now, are we going to be talking about the iPhone? I doubt it. It'll be a part of ancient history. But, but here we are. I mean, we filled a room 2,000 years later for what I think is literally the greatest breakthrough event that not only changed religion for Christians, it changed the map as we know it, it changed government, it changed law, it changed human rights, it changed the treatment of children and women, it changed the world. I'm talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest breakthrough. In fact, it, it was so revolutionary, his disciples weren't ready for it. Even his followers didn't see it coming. And what I love about Jesus, kind of like the phone rolling out, he actually, over the course of his ministry with them, he kind of rolls out resurrection in different versions. There's kind of a resurrection 1.0 and then a 2.0 to get them ready for the resurrection. In fact, if you, you look in his ministry, there's a couple of places where he actually resurrected people. In Mark chapter five, there, there's this uh, official whose daughter's really sick and he comes to Jesus and Jesus goes with him. And before they get to the house, the little girl dies. And everybody's there crying. And Jesus looks at him and he says, she's not dead, she's asleep. He often referred to death like sleep. Because for him, when you have power over both sides of it, it is that way. And he goes in the house, he sends everybody else out, takes her parents, takes a few disciples, looks at the little girl, says, hey, little girl, rise. And he resurrects her. Now, she had just died that day. I mean, it's an unbelievable miracle. But he says, hey, don't tell anybody. We're not ready to go public with this yet. In fact, you see another similar kind of resurrection 1.0 like this. In Luke chapter 7, there's a, a, a widow, a woman. She only had a son. She had no one else. And he dies. And at his funeral, they're taking him to be buried. And, and we know because the Jewish tradition was you buried him that day. So we know he died that day. And the same way Jesus walks up and he looks at the young man and he says, hey, young man, rise up. And he resurrects him. And, and suddenly this murmuring about Jesus starts building because they, they recognize, man, this guy does miracles at a different level that we haven't seen. He doesn't just heal people. but he brought him back to life. And then if you go to, to John chapter 11, he then takes even this concept of resurrection. He says, you know what? I need to teach my followers. We're going to take it to another. We're going to go resurrection 2.0. And he does it with a friend of his, a guy named Lazarus. Uh, outside of his disciples, I would say Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, are Jesus' best friends. He'd stay at their house. And so the word comes that Lazarus is really sick and the sisters are expecting, man, you love him. And it says in the passage, Jesus loved him. So if you're healing everybody else, of course you're going to come heal Lazarus. And Jesus said, mm, I'm actually not going to go. I'm not going to travel to Judea. His disciples are a little confused, but they're relieved. Because at this point, there's a lot of people that wanted to kill him. 
And so they didn't want to go to Judea. They're like, great, we'll just stay here. A few days later, though, look, look, Jesus says to the disciples, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. So remember, they don't want to go. So they're like, if he's asleep, let's just leave him alone. He'll be okay. And Jesus kind of has to clue him in. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought they meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, guys, Lazarus is dead. But then look at this line. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I didn't go. Now you hear that, you go, wait, wait, you're glad he died? You're glad you're not there? You love this guy. And he goes, yeah, but I'm doing something here. I need to teach you guys something. So I'm doing all this for your sake that you may believe. And they go, well, but Jesus, we already, we've seen you do a resurrection. Yeah, but not like this one. We're, we're going to take it to another level. He says, let us go to him. And then Thomas, who's known as Didymus, Thomas, doubting Thomas. I love Thomas. He says all the things I would say with it. Thomas says to the disciples, well, let us go that we may die with him. I mean, Lazarus is dead, we're all dead, let's go. And so then they go. And as they go, he comes to Martha who's there. And, and Martha greets him and, and she says what they all said, you know, Jesus, Lazarus died, if you'd been here, he'd be okay. And, and Jesus looks at her and, and he says, you know, Martha, Lazarus is gonna rise. And she kind of says the standard answer, kind of Sunday school answer. Yes, at the end time, we know he's gonna rise. She was, there was two schools of thought at that time among the Jews. There was one kind of the conservative school, Martha would represent that. The highest representative would be the Pharisees. And, and they said, if you keep the law, you live a good life, you do what God told you to do, in the end, God will resurrect you. you you'll have life with him. The, the other school was the Sadducees. They were kind of more progressive liberals. They actually believed once you died, it's over. Now they were religious and they kept the Jewish traditions, but it was more kind of a, a, a tradition for this life. It was a good way to live. The high priest, by the way, at that time period, Caiaphas and all them, they were Sadducees. They didn't even believe in life after death. And, and so of these two groups, Martha, obviously, she's conservative. And she said, I know Lazarus is gonna rise again. I know about resurrection. And Jesus looks at her and says, mm, yeah, actually this is the whole purpose I didn't show up. I gotta stretch everybody's categories about resurrection. And so he makes this statement. Jesus said to her, I am, and notice what he puts here, this little definite article, the resurrection. And then he links it and the life. If you, you read through the teachings of Jesus, he'll do this several times. There's a lot of people that will talk about, you know, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a form of resurrection, I am a life. And Jesus goes, mm, let me clear this up. I am the category changer. I am the resurrection. And, and linked with that is, I am the life. And he explains a little bit, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. You don't have to fear death. Whoever lives by believing me, ooh, now he's gonna expand the category of life itself, will never die. Will never experience real death, eternal death. Because... I'm the resurrection. And then he looks at Martha and he says, hey, do you believe this? 
And she kind of stumbles a little bit. She goes, well, you know, I believe you're the Messiah. That's what we all thought. You, you know, you're the one, you're gonna come lead us out and do what we wanted to see here. And, and so Jesus, eh, you don't quite have it yet. I've taught you, now let me give you the object lesson. He says, take me to the tomb. Take me there, because this is the whole reason I delayed. I, I needed all of you to kind of expand your resurrection categories. And, and on the way to the tomb, Mary comes out and she's crying and Jesus is crying. In this whole story, he never diminishes death. He never diminishes their pain. But he needs to show them something about him that is unique. And he comes to the tomb and he says, hey, I, I need you to roll the stone away. And Martha steps forward at this point. She goes, whoa, 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 whoa. He's been in there four days. I mean, this isn't like that little girl that just died. This isn't like the guy, you know, he died that day. He's on the way to his funeral. We had his funeral four days ago, Jesus. We're, we're way past the expiration date on this one. You, you ever do that when you grab a jug of milk? You ever had that? You pull the milk out and you look at it, oh, expired yesterday. What do we do? You, you, you open it up and kind of go, okay. I really want some Fruit Loops. If it's not too bad, I'm like, there's enough sugar in the Fruit Loops. I can power through this. We'll, we'll make this work. But, but every so often, you know, you're like, oh, there's not enough Fruit Loops in the world to make this work. That's what Martha's saying. We're past that time. It's over. And, and Jesus goes, no, no. See, you're thinking resurrection 1.0. You're about to see 2.0 roll the stone away. And they roll the stone away and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And out walks Lazarus. And the crowd goes crazy. They've never seen anything like this. In fact, it, it, it said all of his enemies got together at that point. And it's interesting, the conservative guys, the Pharisees, and the liberal guys, the Sadducees, they may disagree on the afterlife, but they agreed on one thing, Jesus has to go. This is too much power. He, he's going to wreck our whole system. And it says right in that passage, they got together and they said, he has got to die. We have to kill him. And if you came back a few weeks later and you went on a hillside called Golgotha and you looked up on a cross between two other crosses, you would have thought they were successful. Because not only the Jewish leaders, the Roman leader, and all the people called for his death. And he was crucified on a cross. And then he was placed in a tomb. And they put a stone in front of his grave. And not just the stone, they put a whole group of soldiers, Roman soldiers in front of it too. Because they were determined, nobody's taking this body. He is finally dead and he's staying in there at all costs. What they didn't plan on was resurrection 3.0. In fact, I, I don't even put a number anymore because you know what we call it today? It became the category changer. If, if you were to say to someone today, hey, I'm here to celebrate the resurrection. Is there any mistake in the world who we're celebrating? Because when you talk about the resurrection from that Sunday, from that day, it became the new breakthrough, the new standard. It became where he is the resurrection and he stepped out in the life so that anyone who believes in him, it changed everything. 
Guys, it's the breakthrough of that day that changes all of the teaching of Jesus. It's the breakthrough of that day that changes all of the biblical history up to that point. It's the changes of that day that becomes the bedrock of all of our faith. It changed those people that even 20 years later when Paul's writing a church in another city, he says, let me just give you the breakdown. Let me point to you what all of this is based on. Look what he says to the church in Corinth. He says, I passed on to you what's important and what's been passed on to me. Here's what you need to build on. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. So he died on the cross. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And then he starts giving this verification, this proof. It's not just a story. It's not just something we came up with. It's not just generations later, somebody said, you know, Jesus rose in spirit. Paul goes, no. He's writing this 20 years after it happened. He says, let me tell you what happened. He was seen by Peter and the 12. I mean, they saw him, they touched him. They ate food with him. They totally changed their life because of him. He was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. And I love that Paul puts this in. Some of them are still alive. You can go talk to them. I'm not making this up. And some of them have died. He was seen by his brother, James, who went from thinking Jesus has lost his mind to actually declaring he's God. And for a Jewish person, they wouldn't even say the name of God out loud, much less think a person is God. What changed their conception? Well, when you see a resurrected person that you saw die on a cross. And then Paul puts it and he says, and last of all, by the apostles, last of all, though I'd been born at the wrong time, I saw him. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. I was determined there's no way this could be the guy. Because in my law, when I read it, anybody that dies on a tree is cursed. And I knew he was cursed by God until I ran into him face to face. And then I recognized, wait a second, he is cursed and he is resurrected. He did die on a cross but God raised him from the grave and it changes everything. Guys, it, it's, it's the bedrock, it's the anchor. It, it's everything in our faith comes back to those two facts. That's why Paul, when he summarizes it here, is this is what you gotta grab onto. He died on a cross and he was resurrected. And, and it's so much so, look what he says a little later in the same passage. If Christ has not been raised, if this isn't true, if it was just an idea, if it's just a sentiment, he goes, let me just call it for what it is. All of our preaching is useless. If Jesus was not actually resurrected, every sermon you've ever heard is useless. <laughs> and then look at this, and your faith is useless. You put your faith in an idea, in a sentiment, in a religious conception? Paul says, I don't. He said, man, I'll tell you the, the anchor of my faith, Jesus rose from the dead. And, and I, I agree with him. By the way, if someone were able to prove unequivocally over the course of this next year that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, don't look for me next Easter. I will not be here. I really won't. I mean, I love you guys. I love church and all that. But we don't do this as ritual. We don't do this because we're just kind of celebrating an idea or a legend. It, it, it's based on the faith that we have, the bedrock of that. And, and I would encourage you, because anytime you talk about faith, I mean, stepping out in faith, there's daunting parts of that. And you're probably, somebody here today, man, you go, I'm not really a person of faith. And sometimes we get so sideways. That's why I'm so glad you're here, because we keep the main thing the main thing. This is one of those days that, that we could chase so many things. And I'll talk to people, they go, you know, I can't, 
I don't know if I can be a Christian because the Bible teaches about money or about sex. Or I can't be a Christian because, you know, the church has done things. And, and I understand those struggles. But here's the reality you have to ask yourself. Any of those things you're struggling with, do they keep you from believing this one fact? Because this is what Paul would come to. It all goes back to, did Jesus die and rise again? I know in my life, when I struggle, because I'll struggle with doubts. I mean, that's what I go back to. I hold on to those two facts and I build from there. You know, I was thinking of an image of this. Um, you know, since we moved to California, I've kind of toyed with the idea of, you, you, you know, you can get a permit and be one of the people that hike. You can go to Yosemite and hike Half Dome. You can actually go to the top. I, I'm not sure I'm going to do it. I need to get in better shape. Anybody here done that? Yeah, yeah we've got you actually, you don't have to be a mountain climber. You look at half dome, you go, I don't, I don't have the skill. Here's how you can do it. You look at it, it's pretty daunting. <laughs> but do you notice here what they did? They anchored cables. In, in fact, as you go up it, all the way up, they've given you cables that are anchored there to hold on to. You don't have to free climb this thing. And I look at that. Sometimes people approach faith in this way and they go, oh man, that's too daunting. I could never do that. And, and you think you got a free climb in these areas that frankly are hard. And here's what I would encourage you. And in my life, I've gone back to time and time again. When I struggle with that, you know what I grab onto? Man, Jesus Christ lived in human history. And I know it's documented. He died on the cross. And he rose from the dead. And, and as I climb with those and I hold on to those, it does take me to places by faith. I, I know in my life, I've, I've had seasons of doubt. I, I remember I was thinking back in college. I had a real wall of doubt at one point in college. Early in college, I rebelled and I was drinking. I've told you some of the stories around that. When, when God got a hold of me and I actually knew I, I was preparing to be a pastor, I came back to a Christian school in my hometown and as I first came back, it was kind of a lonely first semester there. I, was, I, I didn't have as many Christian friends because I'd been partying for a couple of years. And my party buddies didn't want to hang out with the pastor-to-be anymore. And, and so during that time, I'm studying hard and, and preparing. And then I started struggling with doubt. I, I read this novel by Somerset Mom called The Razor's Edge. Not that great a book. But it's about this young man who comes back from World War I and he, he kind of rejects organized religion. He rejects materialism. He, he goes over to the East. He studies from Eastern philosophy. And you read through the book in it and everybody else kind of their lives crashes, but he's happy in his choices. And I remember as I started reading that, here, here's what grabbed me. It was just like, wait a second, do I just believe the Bible because that's what I was raised believing? And I was raised in Christianity? And then you start looking at like, you know, suffering in the world and all these things. And once your doubt starts crowding in, and maybe you're dealing with that. I mean, we, there's a term for it today. We call it deconstructing your faith. Back then we just called it doubting. I was struggling with doubt. And, and I remember in my journey, as I started looking at everything, here, here's the one thing I couldn't shake. I couldn't shake Jesus. And part of it was spiritual. God loved me, he didn't let me go, I know that. But there was also a real rational choice for me. Because I started looking at it and go, if I'm gonna make these steps, what am I stepping to? 
I remember during that time I was reading the story when Jesus' disciples, there's a point where Jesus is teaching some stuff and it's really unpopular. Everybody leaves him. And he looks at his own disciples and he says, are you guys gonna leave too? You guys out of here too? And Peter says this line, he says, where are we gonna go? Who else has truth? Maybe we don't like what you're saying, <laughs> but who else has the truth? And it hit me as I started looking at it because I looked at other religions. I go, oh, they have more gaps. I looked at atheism. I, I just don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That, you talk about a blind leap. Agnosticism to me just kind of felt like a cop-out. Like you're gonna just punt on the biggest question of life. And when I came back to it, you know what I did? I came back to these two handholds and I studied that more and I go, you know what? I really believe Jesus lived and died on the cross and I really believe he was resurrected from the grave. And as I held on to that, and I would just say not just from that day to even to this day, anytime I struggle with that, instead of trying to climb out there on a free climb on my own, I just hold on tight to those. And I take another step and I take another step and in that I have a security because the resurrection, that's what Paul said. Paul said, you know what? Our whole thing's built on the resurrection. These disciples change because of the resurrection. That's why Jesus prepared his disciples with each version so that we could understand he's not a resurrection, guys. He's the resurrection. He's the life. And it not only changes our faith, you heard it in those stories earlier, it changes daily life. And I'll just close with this. I, the resurrection for me gives me so much hope because when I look at it, I, I, I go, if Jesus could overcome death, is there anything in my life he can't overcome? No matter what I've done, no matter what choices I made. And, and, and you heard it in the stories of, of people that, that in their life and in their marriage, and their personal choices, and their struggle, and their brokenness. That it's not just this event from 2,000 years ago we believe. He's the resurrection and the life, and he's changing our life today. And you can believe that. You know, I've always liked the story of Vincent Van Gogh. I, I, I like the impressionist artist. And Van Gogh's story, if you read, it's actually a sad story for most of his life. Van Gogh, who grew up as a pastor's son, but he really struggled with faith. And some of it was the harshness he saw in the church. Some of it was his own personal struggles. If you know his story, he struggled with mental illness, self-harm, in a time period when they didn't understand as much. Went through these deep periods of depression. And, and Scott McKnight, in his book, he points out that uh, if you look in Van Gogh's art, colors played key themes in his art. And one of the key colors he used that played a theme in his life was the color yellow. That for Van Gogh, the color yellow represented love, the love of God and love in this world. In fact, if you look at some of his darkest times of depression, in fact, a piece of art that came out of that is one of my favorite, Starry Night. If you look at it, you, you see the yellow in it, but notice where it is. And at that point in his life, 
he would say, he only believed the love of God, it's out there, it's in the universe at best. You see it in the sky. You see very little down here where we live. And it's really fascinating to me. There's a church right in the center of the portrait. There's no yellow in it. Because he would say at that point, I don't see any love there. But Van Gogh didn't stay there. In fact, in his own personal journey, despite his misgivings about things, he, he came to the place that he believed, you know, the love of God actually can be experienced through Jesus. You start seeing that theme of yellow show up in his art. In fact, one of his later works is a rendition of our story this morning. It's the resurrection of Lazarus. And you see Lazarus and you see his two sisters. And I don't don't really like it as a piece of art. When I first look at it, I go, come on, Vince, you used a little too much yellow there, didn't you? Until I realize what it means that the love of God is no longer way out there. You can actually experience it here. And my favorite part of this picture is Van Gogh put his own face on the face of Lazarus. That there was the hope of love and the hope of resurrection for even me and even you. Guys, that's why we're here. Because Jesus is the resurrection. Because he died on the cross, but because he rose again. And it changes everything. Not just in our faith and belief, but in every part of our lives. But, but I'll finish with what Jesus said to Martha. If you look at it, he says, I'm the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he ends with this question. Do you believe this? Do you believe? Not just in a story. Not just in a holiday. Not just in a religion. But an actual fact in human history that Jesus Christ died and he was resurrected. And by believing, even if we die, we'll have eternal life. I just challenge you today, I don't know how you came in here. For many of us, we came in and we would have said right out of the gate, oh, I believe. And so today's a day of celebration. For some of you here, maybe you're deconstructing. Maybe you're in that wall of doubt. And I would just challenge you, maybe in your doubts you're focused on all those things out there. What would it look like if you just grabbed those anchor cables again and trust Jesus and start there? And for some of you here, you honestly say, Tim, I just can't take that step yet. I don't believe that. I totally respect that. This is what I love about Jesus. I love about God. He never manipulates people. He respects where they start, but he challenges them where they start. And so I would just challenge you. Have you asked yourself what keeps you from believing it? 
And you might throw out, well, the church and ethics and all this. No, here's what, what keeps you from believing that Jesus Christ in human history died and rose again? You, you gotta answer that one first and foremost before anything else. And it's one of those questions, it's worth spending some time chewing on that yourself. You take a moment and just bow your heads right where you are, just for each of us. And if you're here today, if you're like me, that you would say, Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. You would say, in answer to his questions, do you believe? You would say, I believe. Would you do this right now, just silently to God? Would you affirm that again and just tell him, I believe? If you're here, maybe you've been struggling with some doubts. I can't overcome all your doubts in one message, but I would hope that I would encourage you to come back to that anchor and maybe just declare to him, despite my doubts, I believe, I believe he died and rose again and declare that to him. Tell him that right now. If, if, if you're here and you're not ready to take that step of faith, you're not sure you believe, would you do this? I would ask you to just do one little prayer to God and just ask him, God, if this is true, would you show me it's true? Would you show me honestly that you really are the resurrection and the life? Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the fact that we can celebrate what Jesus alone did, that he changed, the, he changed the whole category. He changed human history. When that day he stepped out of the tomb. Lord, I thank you that it is an event that not only impacted that day, it impacts today, it impacts me, it impacts all of us. And so we're here to celebrate together the resurrection and the life. Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.